Welcome to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald. Hey, that's me. Hi, and welcome to Positive Talk. Our show features the best positive stories and people from around the globe as we endeavor to answer the universal question of why am I here and what is my purpose? Understanding that can change everything and knowing your greatness is fundamental to living your best life. So join us right now as together we work to create the adventure of our lifetime. Boy, you want to talk about adventures of a lifetime. The gentleman that we're going to spend our hour with today has done just that. His name is John Verico. He is a uh, public speaker. He is a radio guy. He is a military veteran. And I want to thank you very much for your service, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, and you've been working in you were in the navy and you were on ships and you were the public relations officer and you, you've done a lot of different things with media you've got, had a podcast uh for military and for government people um i guess there are a few of them floating around aren't there oh yeah quite a few there's a lot of uh government agencies that are trying to do their own podcasts and uh, uh in my my former uh position with the department of homeland security we started the technologically speaking podcast which was focused on the research and development folks that were doing the behind the scenes work to uh help the mission of police and firefighters and emergency responders right now your your radio career as i recall actually started at a very young age when you went into the military and you went into the navy and and you became you went into the public i didn't i didn't know that there was this is there actually a public relations training department in the navy absolutely so this was interesting you know back in that that era i actually started as a freelance journalist while i was going to college and that kind of stuff and really trying to find myself but i was very unreliable um <laughs> i was a really good writer and i knew how to how to pick out the news elements and i knew how to tell a good story but um i just couldn't get up in the morning and uh, and so i was always late i was always late to places and so i'd show up at the at the site of a news event and it was already history it was no longer news so uh, I actually, uh, I, uh, my, my kid brother convinced me, uh, to, uh, join the military and get some discipline in my life. And, uh, and so, uh, I looked at, you know, the army and the Marine Corps for about eight seconds and said, no, I'm not going to go crawling in the mud and dodging bullets. And I've got a fear of heights. So the air force was, was out. So <laughs> and I, thought, well, I do know how to swim and so you know and everybody loves a sailor so i'm gonna go ahead and join the navy and uh, the navy had a program called the navy journalist and uh, i figured okay you know when you're on a base overseas or on a ship you know somebody's got to write a, you know, a base newspaper or a ship newspaper or something like that and i thought that's what i was going to be doing so i joined the navy signed up as a navy journalist um you know, met the requirements, went to went to their school. And I'll tell you something, the military's public affairs school is probably the best in the world. Well, it is the best in the world. I'll say that because other nations send their pub <laughs> government public affairs people to our school. It is the Defense Information School. It's based out of Fort Meade, um, uh, Maryland. But anyway, so I went to the school, went out into the fleet and realized that a Navy journalist does not just a little ship newspaper. 
but we're also broadcast journalists. Uh, we are photographers, we are public affairs folks, we are spokespersons, and we are speech writers, and all of those things. And so I report aboard the ship, and I went, ah, here we go, let's go do some stuff. And they said, okay, here's, here's, your, uh, here's your studio, you've got two TV stations to run, two radio stations to run, program all, do all the programming and all the content. By the way, we need an evening newscast, uh, shipboard newspaper, newsletters that go home to the families and the home community when the ship is out, uh, is deployed. Uh, ship's photographer, here's your camera. Your dark room is down the hall. Uh, you're going to handle all the media queries. You're going to uh, put out press releases. Uh, you're going to be the speechwriter for the commanding officer. And when the ship pulls into port, you put on your community relations hat and you'll run tours and coordinate, you know, dignitary visits and things like that. And I was like, that's really cool. Did they recognize that there were only 24 Where, hours in a day? Where's my staff? <laughs> I was a staff of one. <laughs> doing all of this stuff but i'll tell you kevin it was the most rewarding time of my career i learned so much because i was doing so many different things and yes i you know i was a broadcast journalist so i was doing radio shows and television uh doing the television news and it was funny because i've said it was a staff of one so i would set up the camera and then go sit in front of the camera and i'd have these uh 35 millimeter slides programmed to kind of you know, pop in on the screen, you know, for go along with certain news stories and stuff. And I had a chief petty officer that I worked for, worked for at the time who was a wannabe broadcaster himself, uh, a chief, uh, chief push. And I know I'm going to give him the link to the show so that he can listen to it. He's still out there. Um, and so, and, and we're still friends all these years later. Uh, so he and I would sometimes he would, he would sit with me and do the news broadcast and, I'd help him learn how to pronounce some of the words, you know, <laughs> Martina Glover and Lacqualenza and, you know, all those kind of fun things. Um, and, uh, and, and we would do radio shows together. So he loved oldies shows. So we had the chief push time machine and, uh, and he, we, we, we'd have these, uh, his collection of music on cassette tapes <laughs> And, and, I had, and I had stuff on reel to reel uh, tapes and, uh, and we would take those things and, uh, and combine them and put together a show. So we did uh, his, his show. We had uh, the rock, the boat show, uh, which was a rock show. We had a, a, a country time show and we had a, a disco show. Oh, back and, and I produce all these shows and we would air them on board the ship to provide entertainment for the crew when we were out at sea. Uh, and then I would pull, you know, news off the AP uh, and UPI Newswire and uh, and put together news broadcasts and, and news announcements throughout the day as well. Now, running all of that all by yourself, how many hours a day would you be? Now, first of all, it's great training, and I'm sure you really enjoyed it, but how many hours a day were you working? About 12, 14 16 <laughs> whatever it's one of those jobs where whatever it takes Wh whatever it takes have, yeah you can't have dead air because when i wasn't on the air i mean we had stuff we'd produce the, the the shows and then run them you know the radio stuff would just run all day and i'd have to go in and change tapes every once in a while but um but, but that was pretty much self-sustaining the the tv broadcasts were only in the evenings because people were working during the day so nobody was watching televisions right. so the tv wouldn't start until after evening chow 
um, and then it would go till taps, which is ten o'clock. Um, and so, it would so be like, what time does everybody eat on a on a boat? Uh, usually, the last dinner is done around six. So it was it was four hours of of television every night. Well, and, and and they had nothing else to do, so they might as well yeah. watch TV. And if yeah. we were out at sea, if we were out at sea, and we there wasn't an actual uh, operation going on, then uh, then we might start TV as early as four o'clock. Now, did you become famous on board the boat, and everybody was like, "Hey, there comes John," and stuff like that? Well, I don't know. As famous is the word, but everybody knew who I was. <laughs> But you know, it's funny you get you get favors, right? All of a sudden, right? Because uh, the uh, the laundry guys would they would iron my uniforms for me. Oh, that was nice of them. Yeah, yeah. Because you know they wanted to see Road Warrior for the eight hundredth time. I would just give them the movie, and they can run it run it on the projector for themselves, uh, you know, or whatever it was. And so, yeah, I made friends with the captain's cook. I don't want to get him in trouble. Let him know. Let anybody out there know. But. You know, whatever the captain ate, I got to eat. <laughs> so, what was, you now you were doing public relations for the commander. So, what was it like, but putting a, a speech together for him? Was that something that you had to work a lot together with him to get his personality and how he would sound and what he would do? At, at the beginning, mostly I just had to kind of figure out, all right, what is it that you, you want to say and listen to the way he was relating it. And then I would just kind of throw it together. Now, then it came times where, all right, uh, captain, this is what I think you need to say because <laughs> this is what's going on. Uh, so he didn't have too many. I mean, the ship was always out at sea, so we didn't do that many. But he, there was a lot of internal stuff, you know, yeah. when he had to do an announcement about, you know, some activity the ship was going to have to be doing or we're going to miss this Liberty Call port or whatever. Um, you know, I would help him to put something into a way that was, you know, less disturbing to the crew. That kind <laughs> of stuff. See, that, 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 all I know about military life on a boat is what I see in movies. And the, these captains would get on the microphone and they'll, and they will speak and, and verbatim of what they're talking about. And it'll sound great, but that's really not the case. They have somebody who helps them sound great. Sometimes it depends on the, it depends on the individual. There's a lot of commanding officers that don't use their person as a, as a uh, script writer or, or a speech writer. I, for one of my commanding officers, I helped him with almost everything. Another one barely ever tasked me with, with, uh, with stuff, you know, and when I was at the next command, you know, the Admiral wanted me to write every single speech, another, the next command, he had some Lieutenant writing all of his speeches, but I got to proofread it. Ah. And then another one just, just went and did whatever the heck he wanted to. Uh, so it just depends on, on the individual and how confident they are and how comfortable they are with, public speaking or with anything like that. And so that is really the crux of what my career was, is helping people to communicate. No matter what the role was, and no matter what level they were, I was helping people tell their story. So, you know, the engineer from the boiler room, you know, was, was able to talk to a local newspaper about you know, what it's like doing the work there. And so, you know, he became kind of famous in his hometown uh, because, you know, he got to tell his story. Uh, there are so many people out there doing so many interesting things, not only in the Navy, but in government. 
And uh, that's where I spent my, my career is helping to tell those stories about uh, the government's work, not the politics of government, but the actual work of government, the things that they do uh, to serve the citizenry. I got to ask you, just and we don't go into politics. We don't go into that kind of stuff. But you've been intimately involved with government for virtually your whole career. 42 there, years. Huh? 42 years. That's that's a career. That's a career. <laughs> so tell me, and we'll and we'll put this to bed. Is there a dark, insidious side to government that that nobody knows about that is is horrible and awful? Or I see, I I think that there are too many people involved. There's absolutely no way that you could keep. What do they What do they call it? The uh, um, there's a there's a cabal or this group this group of people that are running the country and it seems to me like there are way too many people involved that somebody would talk about something somewhere but that's just me is there such a thing i could tell you but then i'd have to kill you okay but no I but in all, in all seriousness kevin um you know there are are folks if you have not really worked in government then you don't really understand the machine and so there are 99.9% .9 of the government is not political in nature. It is out there actually doing real work. They're we're running the, the, you know, your state parks and, um, you know, uh, taking care of the environment and uh, taking care of roads. And there's all kind anything, there is nothing you can do in your life that does not, is not impacted or supported by some element of some level of government, whether it's the county government, the local government, federal, federal state, some element, some government entity is involved in everything that you do in some fashion. You know, they're, they're maintaining the roads so that you can get to your job, right? They're maintaining the, the they're maintaining the airwaves so that people can hear what it is you're, that you're saying. Um, they're, they're watching the, uh, the broadcast spectrums to make sure that, you know, this, this other organization isn't tapping into your radio signal on your time. So all that, kind of, all of this stuff is, is maintained by people working very hard in the government. And so many folks just, you know, they want to put government down. Their only exposure to the government is when they go to, to the airport and they see a TSA, right? They go, oh, that's the damn government getting in the way, right? Or, or they go to DMV to get their driver's licenses renewed or their car registration. And there's maybe, you know, some, some one disgruntled person there that just, it just ruins the whole, you know, environment or the, or the atmosphere. Um, they see maybe uh, some, some road crews that, you know, held up their, you know, they were stuck in traffic for hours because of some construction site going on on the roads. And then when they get there, they happen to see the people are on their breaks. They're like, there they are, government lazy workers are not doing a thing, and there's my tax dollars, and they held me up for three hours. So you don't really see what's going on in the background. And so, yeah, the government gets a bad rap because of that. People say, you say government, people go, oh, and they think they think the politics. But really, um, what it is is, a, is an enormous working machine, 
and there are you know many thousands of people that are out there doing really really important work and that's the part of government that i supported through my past 42 years both uh well not i was gonna say both but actually was in the military i worked for state government in maryland and also for the federal government so in that whole period of time it always it always gets me when people say, you know, I pay too much taxes. I'm a business owner and stuff, and I don't need the government for anything. It's like, okay, how are your lights on? Yeah, do, are your <laughs> lights on? Do, do you do you have roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads, but do you have roads to uh, to do stuff? Do you have a fire department of your own in case you your business catches on fire? Yeah. <laughs> so many people don't realize all of that stuff you know and uh and you're right we all complain about how much taxes we have to pay um and i admit i complain about how much taxes i have to pay too uh, but i won't even go into the into the you know the whole side of who pays taxes and who gets away with not paying taxes that's 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 a long discussion that yeah and, I, I'm hopeful one and of that is not for positive talk radio. That, that is, for, is not, no. <laughs> that is for smack them in the head talk radio. I'm hopeful that one of these days it will all rectify itself, uh, but it's, it's going to take a long time. So, um, okay. but, but anyway, we're talking with John Verico. He is one of my favorite people on the planet. He's, he's uh, been a broadcaster for like ever, and he's doing public relations, and he has got to see a lot of stuff. He's also a um, public speaker and he's a keynote speaker and uh, you can go to john verico that's v-e-r-r-i-c-o.com you can find out all about him and all the things that he does and and to to this day and so you know and he's got some people that say some really complimentary things to you about you on your website how much did all that cost uh what paying those people to, yeah. to send in those uh <laughs> those nice remarks and those those compliments um you, you know i tell you i've been like i said throughout my my day job career i was training people to communicate and so that was the part of what i was doing that i enjoyed the most yeah. when i helped somebody to tell their story or when i helped somebody to overcome a challenge that was my reward and that is still where my reward comes from so I expanded out uh, over the years, over the past 20 some odd years, I started bringing this trainings outside of my government job. So I haven't been doing like media training, but more like interpersonal communication training, leadership training, That's a because I realized that those, those skills are, are, you know, really intermeshed. If you can't communicate, you are not going to be a good leader. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so those are the kinds of things i've been trying to help people to do now what where this comes from and kevin i think you know a little bit about uh, my early background but i was an undersized kid in school i was picked on by bullies a lot and when i when i got into the high school years i know you were the big kid in school i was the little guy and so when I got into the workforce and I saw people treating each other like the bullies treated people, uh, you know, you see those bully bosses and, you know, you do this because I said to do this and you do this this way. I realized that that didn't really keep a very motivated workforce. And I know from experience working with and for people of all kinds and different leadership styles, I know what skills 
they had that made me feel better about what I did that made me want to work harder for them. Right. And so, so because of those kinds of things, those are the kinds of skills that I chose to emulate as I was coming up through leadership ranks. And those are the skills that I'm trying to teach others to do. Right. And so what I've been doing is, is working with either groups or individuals to help them with their leadership and communication skills. And like I said, if there's one person in that room and it gets that little glint in their eye that says, ah, boy, he just hit home for me. That was, that was an important message for me. I'm going to take that. And you know, that, that, that turned on the light for me. That is my reward. I have become accustomed to those minor luxuries called food and shelter. So I have to charge for those services. But if I, was, if, I was in, if I was independently wealthy, I would probably do this stuff for free. <laughs> but at the same time, people value things that they pay for. No, if, that's true. If, if it's free, a lot of people, oh, it's just free. What, what could he know? Uh, but, if, <laughs> so but if it costs, you know, like 50 bucks or 100 bucks, it's like, ah, well, I, he charges it. It must be good. And I'm going to go. And learn a lot from it, and that's and but and, and I wanted put, to ask put a few you, more zeros on there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you: there are a lot of people who look at you, and in some cases look at me, and go, "They've got the gift of gab; it just naturally comes to them." How do you teach somebody to have the gift of gab? You know, not everybody has the the gift of gab, but what they can do is overcome the nervousness that that accompanies their uh, you know th that that keeps them from being able to talk. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. No, absolutely nothing wrong at all with being an introvert. That does not mean that you cannot present well. That does not mean that you cannot have a conversation when you need to have it. That does not mean that you don't communicate. But there's a different comfort level. And so what I do is work with people to help them to try to identify what's holding them back from being able to do a good presentation. Let's say they have to do a presentation at work and their nervous is all get out. What are you nervous about? Where? What's the fear coming from? What, are, what is the worst possible thing that can happen? And now let's backtrack from that. And then just learn to get more, more comfortable. And the other important thing is to understand that they matter. People want to hear what you have to say. I've met so many folks that said, I don't have anything to offer. I'm just at this level. I don't know why they want me to, to talk. These are all you know high-level people in this room, and they want me to, to present to them or whatever. You have something to offer or they wouldn't have asked you to speak. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that kind of realization that what you have to say is important. And so now let's work on the mechanics of how to get those words out of your mouth and into their ears. <laughs> and, and if you teach somebody, so it's a skill. You can teach somebody to, to do it. And maybe they, they're never going to be Robin Williams as an example. But they will be able to speak confidently and competently yeah. to a group of people that they are in front of. You know what 90% of the fear comes from? It comes from, from being taken by surprise. People are afraid they're going to look foolish 
if somebody asks them a question or they're going to challenge what they have to say. And so the, the main thing to do is to prepare for that. Duh, right? Be, have your defenses, have your defenses ready. If you know, okay, you're going to be talking about a, a certain topic and people in the room might have an opinion about that topic. Understand what that opinion is, understand what that, you know, where, where they may have formed that from, and then uh, be ready to, to counter it with the, the proper information. Really good uh, example. Um, whenever like we were doing a, a press conference and you got a bunch of, you know, hostile reporters, they're, they're <laughs> looking, right. They're, they're looking to beat you up. They're looking, they're looking for a story. They're looking for a hole in your story. They don't care what you have to say. They want to. They want to necessarily. You know, they're they're looking for the for the hole in the story. They're looking for something that they can dig into. Not all. Now, I'll tell you, not all reporters are like that. I've worked with you know many many thousands of reporters in forty two years. I couldn't even. I mean, thousands a year. So you know, how many does that add up to? Um, and over all that time, I've only been intentionally misquoted four times. I've dealt with four hostile reporters and probably a hundred thousand. So people's perception of the hostile reporter is really, you know, very incorrect, but understand there are going to be some who are going to be out there who are investigative reporters or whatever that, that want to dig in and are looking for a mistake. Understand why you're nervous before doing an interview like that. We did a lot of these in the government and military, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. But understand what those concerns are. Understand what, what they're, they're looking for. And just make sure you got your stuff ready. Yeah. You know, we had done, um, there was a, an outbreak of uh, a microbe in the eastern shore of Maryland uh, called Fisteria. And I heard that. Yeah. yeah. So Fisteria, um, it's a, it's a micro, well, it's Fisteria piscida specifically, but it's a microbe that is normally an algae eater. Okay. And it goes through life as an algae eater until it decides, eh, you know, I need a little nutrient. You know, like we go, our bodies go, eh, I need a little vitamin C. So, <laughs> so what do we do? We drink orange juice, right? Right. So, what this microbe does is I need a little something else. So it changes its physical form and now becomes a flesh eater. Oh, lovely. And so it will emit, this is really weird. It emits a pheromone into the water. That pheromone causes fish to stress. When fish stress, they release a pheromone, which is the trigger chemical for this change in the microbe. And now the microbe can go from eating algae to eating fish. So we were having hundreds of thousands of fish dying and washing up on the shores of the Eastern shore of Maryland. And it was freaking people out. <laughs> no doubt. The commercial fishermen, when they were catching fish, maybe, you know, fish that, that had not died, but then when they're catching fish, the fish had these like, ulcerous lesions on them well you can't sell a fish that looks like that even though it's safe to eat you right. certainly who wants to buy a fish with a big you know ulcering sore on the side of it so so it was impacting a lot of people well then people were starting to get sick but not from eating the fish 
but mostly it was the commercial fishermen who were ingesting the microbe in the spray of the water coming off their boats. Oh man. So all of this weird stuff was going on. This microbe, not only can it switch from an algae eater to a flesh eater, it actually has 24 different stages that it can shift into at any time. It is scientifically remarkable. But frightening as all get out. Nobody wants to hear you say it's, this is a remarkable little creature. That's exactly it. And so what was happening was the scientists who were working for the Department of Environment were, were doing interviews about, you know, what was happening with the fish kills. And instead of being concerned, I mean, they were concerned about, about the health issues or the potential health issues, but they were so fascinated by this new microbe that that's what they were focusing on. And like, this is a remarkable little microbe and this is what it does. And people were like, ah, you know, so, so the, the whole end is near. So the whole thing is understanding. So then it was like, well, did you create the darn thing in a lab or something? You know? So the whole, the whole concept there is to understand the concerns of the people you're talking to. What do they know? What do they think they know? Where are they getting their, their old information from? And then how can you relate information in a way that they'll understand and that addresses their concerns? And whether, whether it's a, a reporter or somebody in the community or whatever, that's really what it comes down to, is, is it, having an open understanding of knowing who you're talking to and where they're coming from. Well, now, John... You as being someone who stands up in front of people and talks a lot and, and, and are able to hold the attention of an audience. Um, do you, did you have acting in your past? I see, I recommend, um, improvisational theater that if you want to learn something about how to think on your feet and how to react a certain way in certain things, improvisational theater is a great training ground it is for a you fabulous to training ground so early on in life when i was that uh, undersized youth in school you i did not do any of those things i was uh an extrovert that was forced to be in an introvert's body because every time i brought attention to myself i got beat up by the bully so i didn't do theater or any of that stuff until later in life after <laughs> you're going to laugh after I learned how to disco dance. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> See, I did get you to laugh. Uh, yeah. After I learned how to disco dance and got a little bit of confidence, uh, then I was able to start, you know, kind of stretching out a little bit, a little bit further. Um, and I did ultimately do some theater. And it was funny because I do not do, I do not sing. I do not have a good singing voice. Me neither. But I kept getting involved in musical theater. Um, I could dance. And so what happened, I, I was a friend of mine who was uh, very good. Uh, he was a good actor and a singer and dancer and all that stuff. And he was really good looking and he was one of those guys. I, I hung around with him because the girls hung around with him, you know. So exactly. Like, I get the I get the girls on the fringe. <laughs> exactly. Just just some overflow. Send them my way, babe. Yeah, yeah. He can only dance with one of them at a time, right? So one there's always <laughs> you want to dance with me in the interim, you know, <laughs> until he's free. <laughs> 
we'll just we'll just give you a number and then you yeah yeah pretty much but uh but but anyway you know he said hey i'm, you know, I'm gonna go do this audition on the way to the going to the clubs tonight so you know come with me and i said i, I don't do that stuff and he says eh, it'll be fine he said there'll be girls there i'm like oh well i'll go with you <laughs> so so i fill out this and and, and so on the way i said so what is this show he says uh it's fiddler on the roof i said so that's a musical i love that show it's a musical i mean what could i possibly contribute to something like that and he goes don't worry just come on so he gives me this you know the sheet to fill out that says you know what shows have you been in before none you know singing voice none <laughs> uh can you dance yeah check off yes i can dance so he turns in my sheet and a little while and he's over doing the audition stuff i'm sitting kind of in the back of the theater and a little while later this woman walks over and she says uh, are you john i said yeah she goes uh says here you can dance come with me so we went out in the hall and she says uh okay let's see what you can do do this and she moved her feet and i moved my feet and she goes okay good now do this and she moved her feet and i moved my feet she goes okay great um you got it i said i got what she goes all the dancing roles i have no men who can dance <laughs> so i was the lead uh, i was the fiddler i was the lead russian dancer and i was the lead bottle dancer in the in the wedding scene and all that kind of stuff and so i wound up doing stuff like that and that's how i kind of started uh doing that and then later in life i was working at the maryland renaissance festival cool and got into that stuff and most of that was just really just going into character on speaking kind of funny and uh and i was selling hats and um it was completely improvisational you know whatever and so with them then i got into doing improv theater and uh dinner theater extemporaneous theater and and enjoyed that so much but that really helped me to learn to think on my feet and it came in very very handy when it was time to do interviews and such like that so long long story to talk about really how um you know you can learn to think on your feet and that's where people get scared the most like i started to say they're worried about what's going to hit them you know they can prepare their notes and they're all ready to give their you know 15 minutes or whatever it is but then it's that q a session that they're dreading so much uh but if but you're right improvisational theater is a great great way to train yourself to be able to think on your feet you will appreciate this story because i too was in fiddler on the roof <laughs> were you tevia no i no, no i wasn't good enough to be tevia but i i was lazar wolf the butcher oh excellent red marker and so and this is one of the things you learn is it now in, in, the, in those days you had a curtain and then there was a rope that you would open the curtain somebody was there with a rope and i was um um laser wolf and i was downstage stage middle and the bartender was supposed to be off to the side over here red morka and red morka was going to give me a bowl of your best brandy and um so the assistant director who had a wicked sense of humor decides he goes over to open the scene he looks and says is everybody ready and i look over and red morka is not there <laughs> And I said, Joe, Joe, 
Rep Mortka, he's not there. Don't open the curtain. He gave me this little crap-eating grin and and opened the curtain. And and so my first line, I'm supposed to turn to my right and say, Rep Mortka, a bottle of your best brandy. And the, of course, there was nobody there. And so I just yelled out, Reb Morka as loud as I could. And you could hear because the, the green room was in the back of the theater. Mm-hmm. And you had to come all the way up one of the uh, rows in on, on the outside. And you could hear him running from the back <laughs> all the way to the front. And, uh, and, but it was one of those things where, what do you do? I, you, you've got to, you got to get through it somehow. And so it, it worked. But that was, and I got to sing uh, to life. Yes, I uh, love it. (laughs) And and just sing that thing, and it was it was a a marvelous. But that I I, I sang that actually as part of the the chorus. You were part of the chorus, yeah. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah, they said, well, you're not going to just dance; you got to sing. But you don't have any lead roles, thank God. Well, and the cool thing I I did later on in life wind up with some with some lead singing. But I do. I have to tell you a similar story that happened to me. I was working on a as a dinner theater show. And um, I was playing a, it was called Murder in the Park. And I was playing a park ranger and I'm going to be kind of the investigator of this crime that is going to happen. But where the opening scene, the manager, the park manager and I are supposed to be out on stage, kind of welcoming the guests to this, you know, award volunteer of the year ceremony. That was the, the kind of the, 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 princi- the, the premise for the gathering. Um, it's the, it's the, uh, volunteer of the year award ceremony. And thank you all for coming and kind of setting the stage for who the players are that they're going to meet throughout the course of the evening. So it's the opening piece. And I come out onto the stage and there's no curtain. This is a dinner theater. So it's a, just, it's, it's fairly open. And I come out onto the stage and she's not there. And so I greeted everyone we'll be right with you and i went back and i said where the hell is dorothy and they said she's not here i said i know she missed her spot you know she's not here she's not in the building she has not arrived yet i went then why did you make me start the show just go out and fill just go out and fill So I'm geared up to look like a park ranger. I've got a radio and all this gear on, right? And so, and and they were real walkie-talkies, by the way. And so, so I go out and I start kind of just doing the welcoming and telling people about what's going on and making stuff up. And then finally, somebody, you know, jumps out and they kind of they're waving to me and they're and they're pointing to me to turn on my radio. So I turn on the radio. And Dorothy's in the back getting dressed (laughs) and just starts explaining how she got lost coming to the event, which is in the park's facility, her own park. (laughs) So we completely created a persona for her character on the spot that her, her was kind of like, um, uh, McLean in uh the early years of mash yes you know kind of that inept commanding officer thing so she was a completely like she, she was completely lost in her own brain could not find the the uh, public facility the event facility in her own park 
And so I'm talking to her on the, on the walkie talkie and I'm going, okay, so where are you now? What do you see? Uh, I parked in a parking lot. Okay, good. What do you see? Trees. Okay. Turn around. What do you see now? I still see trees. Are they the same trees? Yes, they are. Okay. Turn halfway around this time. Oh, what do you see now? There's a building. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and we literally just came up with this and and she's off stage so we're, we're not even able to cue each other it was just completely wacky but that's how if 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 you're listening to this and you're a mom or a dad and you have got uh kids um put them into acting class put them into uh improvisational drama because it will give them the the chops and the experience and the confidence to be able to stand up in front of somebody when you're not prepared for exactly what they're going to say. And as a public relations officer, you got that all the time, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it was always out of left field, you know, <laughs> tell me, you know, tell me Senator, are you still beating your wife kind of thing? It's like, those are, <laughs> there's no way to answer those, those kinds of questions, but uh, no. that, that's always this, the stuff that, that, that people fear. And, um, you know, I admit, uh, you know, in my early days I did too. And now it's just, okay. If, if I don't know the answer, then uh, it's okay to say, I don't know the answer at this moment. We will get back to you. Do you, do you remember, uh, of course, Jimmy Carter and uh, Rosalind just recently passed away. I'll never forget watching a press conference with him the first time that he, after he'd been elected and he was standing up there and, and somebody asked him a, a hard question and he thought about it for a second and then with his his smile that he had mm -hmm. he said i don't know but i'll find out and yes. and then the next time he did that and he pulled it off because it's like nobody's expected to know everything and if you do if you're a politician and you've got an answer for everything then half of it's made up anyway so well yeah and that's that's exactly it i met jimmy Bart, by the way and he was uh he was very nice when when they were commissioning his uh the submarine that was named after him you know he was a submariner in the navy and so they they named uh, the uss jimmy carter obviously after him and so he came to the uh to the ceremony when we commissioned that and i was leading the public affairs efforts for that commissioning ceremony very nice guy well you know you should have have you written a book the uh, the biography of one John Verico. <laughs> I have not written uh, that book yet, but I have one in the works, and it's called uh, the No Logic Zone. <laughs> and and what the No Logic Zone uh, is is it pulls from, you know, a course of over the course of my career and and life and my interaction and observations of people in various leadership positions and i'm not talking about the politician types and the, you know the corporate leaders people write about those people all the time i'm talking about just like on the managerial level the frontline supervisor level who just just did stupid stuff and so uh you know and then kind of analyzing those those really bad decisions and how it could have been so much better uh, you know, so everything from, you know, there was a, a cruise director when my wife and I were on a cruise and he had a staff that were the, the activity staff, you know, those are the kids that, you know, they, they come from all around the world. They're, they're, they're young, they're energetic, and they're trying to get people, you know, into doing trivia games and playing bingo and, you know, uh, uh, 
volleyball in the pool and all these different kinds of activities. And these kids worked their butts off and did a fabulous job. And uh, I saw the cruise director and I said to him, I say, by the way, I just want to let you know, you know, that your, your staff is top notch. I mean, we've been on several cruises, but these kids are particularly, they are on it. They are so good. He could have said, thank you very much. I'm really proud of them. Yeah. He could have said anything, but, but what came out of his mouth was they could be a lot better. Oh, geez. And he basically threw them under the bus and even complained a little bit about them to a guest, to a customer. You don't do that. No, you don't no. do that. So, so these are the kinds of interactions that, that I've seen, um, you know, and everything from, you know, all these different people that I've, I've been so fortunate to meet in life and, uh, everything from, you know, like I said, Jimmy Carter, um, uh, I, I, I worked for, uh, governor of Maryland. I worked for Peter Tork from the monkeys. Um, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've met some really wonderful people and learned some really, really wonderful lessons. And those are the lessons that I wanted to try to share with folks. You know what I found in the times that I've been interviewing people and I've interviewed a lot of people is that even people who claim to not be superstars or they aren't acclaimed and, and people might not know who they are. I interviewed a, a gentleman, his, his name is MacDonald. He's from the British or the, uh, um, uh, Scottish Highlands. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were, we were talking and, and I said, so how close is where you live to where they shot Braveheart, um, with Mel Gibson. And I said, Oh, it's just right down the road, you know? And, and I, and so I said, really? He said, Oh yeah. Mel used to come in. He had a smoke shop and he smoked salmon and different things. And uh, he said, Mel used to come in all the time and we had a great conversation. He and I just sitting there shooting the, you know, the breeze about stuff. And I never would have found that out. Had I not asked about Braveheart because in his mind, it was no big deal. Right. And, right. So then I said, <laughs> then I said, well, how close are you to, cause Paul McCartney, when he left London in 1969, he and Linda moved to Scotland. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, their place is right down the hall, right down the street <laughs> down here. And, and I said, really? You live around where Paul McCartney is? And he said, oh, yeah, but I met him and, and uh, Asher um, in London at a pub in 1967 or something like that. And it's, but those sorts of nuggets. You yeah. never would. I never would have known any any of that. And and so we spent some time talking about McCartney and 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 uh, Mel Gibson and 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 a bunch of stuff and kilts. Did you know? Have you ever worn a kilt? <laughs> I have. Oh. <laughs> I swore. I swore I was not. Uh, but when I worked at the Renaissance Festival, they have a Scottish weekend. And, uh, and, and I said, I am not wearing a kilt. It's bad enough. You got me in, you know, velvet purple tights, but I'm not doing a kilt. And my friends convinced me that I needed to wear a kilt. And so I wore a kilt once. <laughs> what, he, what he was telling me was because, you know, there are functional functionality behind kilts. And he said, in the wintertime, they keep you warm in the summertime, they keep you cool. And, uh, 
And I said, well, do you wear, like, if it's cold, do you wear, like, long stockings? And he said, we're a Scottish man. We don't do things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, as, as a matter of fact, when the military guys, because they all wear kilts, the, the, the Scottish military, when they leave to go on uh, um, um, leave, there is a mirror on the floor and a gentleman who is stationed there to make sure that they are equipped properly, which means no underwear. <laughs> Commando style. <laughs> Commando style. It's mm -hmm. like, that's the one job I would not. I was the guy making sure that nobody was wearing any pants when I was in the military. You know, so, but you learn so much from, <laughs> from people that you don't expect you do. these you do. stories to come out. Yeah, that's why you have to write your book. I will be. I will be. I'm hoping that uh, that we can get um, the No Logic Zone out later this year, and then uh, you know there, there'll be some other stories too. There's so when, many stories. When you get that out, you're going to have to come back. I, I thoroughly enjoy our conversations. I love chatting with you, Kevin. It's great. <laughs> you're, you're you're just you're just a lot of fun. and you've got so much so much in here that you are able to impart to other folks that can make them better presenters, better, better leaders, um, because communication is a key to being a good leader. If you can't talk to people well, they're not going to follow. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and, and the thing is, you have to understand that all people want to do is know that they matter. That's so true. You know, we tend to make assumptions about other people all the time. Um, and, and everybody just really wants to make sure that whatever they're doing makes a difference. Why should I do this if it's not making a difference, right? They just want to, they just want to matter. Well, when they're being held back, when they're being micromanaged, they're not, you know, like your opinion is not necessary because this is the way I want it done. All of that kind of stuff. It, it destroys motivation. It destroys people's self-esteem. And you don't wind up with a good product at the end of the road. You know, you, you're going to kill innovation by, by if you don't treat people with, with respect and dignity. Um, you've heard me say this before, you know, the, the key things that we ha need to have between us are trust, opportunity, respect, communication, and humanity. And that's the, that's the torch that lights that inner motivational fire in people. You know, if I'm trusted, if, if I feel that you're giving me the, uh, the opportunity to prove myself or the same opportunity you've given others, if you're respecting me as an individual, if you're communicating with me openly and honestly, and you're treating me like a fellow human being, I am going to work my butt off. I'm going to do those things that are that are going to be positive or I'm going to try to innovate. I'm going to try to improve. I'm going to make things better and I'm going to, to give you my all. And the same thing, if I treat other people that way, then they're going to, to also, you know, bring out that innovation in them. That's what we want. That's what we want with people. We want people to realize that they, every individual matters on this planet, every single individual, you know, everybody has something to offer. They may be in a predicament, in their life or a time in their life when they're really, really down, they just need a hand up and the opportunity to prove themselves. 
And, you know, employers are, they're getting better, but there still is a bunch of people who do not recognize that exactly what you just said. If you respect people, if you give them the opportunity to work hard and to innovate and to do that, to be part of the team, to be team leaders and to really grow through stuff and to communicate. If, if you don't provide that, your turnover rates go up because your dissatisfaction rates go yep. up, your, your, your productivity. Now, for those of you business guys, you know, productivity is how much work you can get out of every hour from every employee that goes, <laughs> that goes down Yeah, because they don't give a crap anymore. And so they're just doing it. Then it becomes the common denominator of how much can I get away with without losing this job rather than to do the best job I can, because you care for me and I care back. So many employers don't get that, but I'm hoping that it's changing now. They, they hire people. They go through a huge screening process to make sure somebody's got the skills and the abilities to do this job, right? They finally bring that person on board and then they micromanage them. So if, why did you need somebody with skills? You can get somebody else. You can, you can train a monkey to do that. But the, the, the real key is no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business. Yes. No matter what it is that you're doing, you're in the people business. And so, you know, you're talking about industry, you're talking about uh, any kind of a work product, but even think about in a restaurant, if you treat your employees like crap, they're going to treat your customers like crap. There's nothing worse than, you know, than, than wait staff that is disgruntled or having a bad day. You know, because then they, they don't treat the customers with respect. There, there's no smile there. To, there's, no, there's no feeling of greeting. Um, you know, they'll, they'll mess up orders. They, you know, there'll be all kinds of things. And then you'll lose customers. So yeah. if you remember that your people are responsible for producing your product, but they're also the face of your organization to your customer base, no matter what that customer base is. And so you got to treat them right. <laughs> I was in the restaurant business for 20 years and it was a general manager of a, of a several general, several properties of, you know, 75 people and that kind of stuff. I would have a meeting and I would say, okay, I want you to tell me who are the most important people in this building right now. And, um, they would look and they said, well, sir, you certainly are. You're the, mm assistants it's not the chef i said there are two classifications of people that are the most important to what we do here number one is a dishwasher if you don't have clean dishes then you can't serve the food well and it's not going to work the other one is the hostesses they mm -hmm. give the first impression and if they are in a surly mood then the people are going to come to your table and they're going to be in a surly mood because of that bitch at the front desk yeah. And so consequently, they're, they're important. And then everything flows off of that. And then every, every, every person that you come in contact with is your most important person that you're going to talk to that day. And it, after a while, they got used to my, my craziness. And, well, and you I, remember, you remember, obviously, you know, going, coming up in the era where the, the customer comes first, right? Everything is all customer yes. focused, customer focused. Um, there was a great book that came out, I'm trying to remember when, probably the eighties, maybe nineties called the customer comes second. Ah, and the premise behind this book is, 
is something I really took is, is always taken to heart too. But the most important people are your staff. Because yep. if your staff are who are dealing with your customers. And you know, if you <laughs> if you treat your if you treat your staff well, they'll treat your customers well. Right. If you don't exactly. take if you don't take care of your staff, they will take your customers. I I had them trained to the point where if somebody was complaining about their food, it was a Mexican restaurant. If somebody said, you know, this isn't really what I ordered, they were instructed to get that dish out of their face as quickly as possible and get them what they want. No questions asked. We'll deal right. with everything else later. But and, and the wait staff loved that because then they could be a hero. Yes. Rather than having to defend while well, the chef was a little tired or whatever, and the food is, <laughs> and it was in the window a long time, it's cold. And then rather than do that, they could get rid of it, replace it, let me know. I'll go by the table and we'll make sure that they're okay. And you'll save your tip and we will have, we'll save the customer um, for next time. Yep. That's also important. Um, by the way, it's we've been talking important. with. John, I could talk to you for hours. John Verico, go to his website, please. JohnVerico.com. Hire him as a keynote speaker. He would be phenomenal to be in your organization. Um, very smart guy. And uh, John, I want to thank you so much for being here. And, uh, and anything you'd like to add before we go? Kevin, I just want to thank you so much for having me on Positive Talk Radio. I love talking to you. I love the concept of your show. Um, I will be referring other other guests. I think that will you'll you will love as well. I've some wonderful colleagues that I've had the the, the absolute pleasure to work with over the years, and I look forward to coming back. I, we, and like you said, we can chat for hours. Just just I don't feel like I'm being interviewed. I feel like I'm talking with a friend. So thank you so much, Kevin. Ditto. I, I appreciate you and and I I always leave these shows and consider you and the people I interview as as good friends and you you I I would love to share a beer with you if you weren't on the East Coast. Well, I may get to the West Coast at some point. <laughs> and by the way, we're gonna this is gonna air before uh, January thirty first, and that is your last day. Is my it, last official day on the roster for my government job. Yes, I, I, I've retired after 42 years. And uh, I, at the time of this taping, we are uh, I'm on leave. But uh, my official retirement date will be the 31st of January. And then I'll be able to focus more of my energy full time on Share Your Fire and be able to do more keynotes, more training workshops, uh, more individual coaching. So if anybody uh, wants to... To, to connect with me, please do. Um, the website, I'm on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, the, 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 the site formerly known as Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, you, can, you can find me uh, pretty much uh, anywhere out there, uh, but please do connect. And my, my you know, email, john at johnverico.com. How easy can you get? Everything's lined up and it's perfect. And you're going to have, I, 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 I am, I believe fully that not you're not retiring. You're just transitioning to another career. I'm just uh, expanding what I've been passionate about on the side and making that my full-time venture. Congratulations. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kevin. And we're right there. I'll be right back. 
Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other